quiet intro in a while. <laughs> um, ATP podcast 71. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right. I think I actually got it right this time. That was another guess. Yeah. Um, look, I'm going to be straightforward right now. Massive episode today. Massive episode today. Um, not a lot of topics, but they're heavy topics. Um, I'm excited. We're in the middle of the U.S. Open. Um, a lot to talk about in regards to the U.S. Open statistics and stuff like that. And then just things that are happening almost because of the U.S. Open, you know. Um, so I don't know where you want to start. Where do we want to start today? Okay. Oh, yeah. With my co-host, Mark Figaroa. Uh, is Jay. Sorry about that. Missing my intro. Yeah, man. Where do you want to start? First off, we're going to start with U.S. Open drama. Now, there's been a lot with uh, Stefano Sissipas and his whole uh, taking 10 minutes for going to the bathroom. But now there's been more uh, drama with medical timeouts. Mm-hmm. Now, first off, I did watch the match, but I'm still going to give a shout out. Um, a new listener of ours, she doesn't follow tennis, but as soon as she heard the drama, she texted me right away and she was all, you got me listening. You got me uh, reading uh, for tennis drama. This is your fault. <laughs> so I'd like to give a quick shout out. But anyway, during the Krishkova Muguruza match. Muguruza was down 4-0 in the third set. Mm. She comes back and storms back to 6-5. Wow. Then Krishkova... From a bathroom break? No, no. Oh, no. She just makes a huge comeback? Yeah, she makes a huge comeback. Oh, okay. Then Krishkova calls a timeout. Mm. It's a medical timeout. And she went on to win seven points in a row after that medical timeout at 6-5. Unbelievable. Then, she, uh, according to Muguruza, Krishkova uh, took too long to get the towel. So mm. not only did she call for the medical timeout, but she also took too long. So the drama now is basically that in her press conference, Muguruza called her uh, unprofessional, mm. and she said she did it on purpose. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the stalling on a medical timeout. Um, these antics seem to be more and more part of the sport. It seems like, um, you know, they're trying to exploit any type of ways they can work the system to break the rhythm, break the morale, break the momentum of their opponent. And, you know, in individual sports, this is a big thing, you know. Um, players really do rely on this momentum and stuff like that. Yeah, they um messing with my microphone, sorry. They um I think that I think it's a bit of an ugly thing and there's almost an unwritten code that you know we we respect each other's momentum, we respect the game, we res- we are good sportsmen and if I'm getting the better of you, um don't try to exploit little rules to, you know, try to turn the tides in your favor. Play the game. So, yeah, we've been seeing a lot of this in tennis as of late, especially, and it's been getting shown on major center courts a lot lately. So what do you think? Um, Here's my question for you. In an individual sport where if it's within the rules, technically it's part of the game, should it just be figured out? 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's it's within the rules. So people are needs to get accustomed to what's happening. Mm-hmm. And we've given example on top of example. But again, in 2017, Federer called a timeout. Mm-hmm. Nadal broke in the fifth set right away. Mm-hmm. So he didn't complain. Yeah. You know, that's the mentality of the champion. But Krishkova actually had a problem. She actually had to be helped out mm-hmm. the stadium. She actually, once she, wants, once, once she won the match, she sat down and really couldn't get up. And she, mm. actually, she actually had to be helped out. So here's my question to you, though. And then, obviously, Muguruza said, oh, really? Well, how, if she really couldn't move, how, did she, how was she able to play for eight minutes a flawless game? Mm-hmm. That was her press conference. Mm. So my question to you is, why do you think these medical timeouts and the bathroom breaks are being drawn out of hand? The players are actually losing their minds right now. Why do you think that is? Um, maybe this is a combination of players looking for a scapegoat as to why they lose matches. Mixed with, um, I think that media is really finding a narrative within this and expanding it blowing it out of proportion as well because these bathroom break antics have been around as long as I've been watching tennis um and uh, maybe not that long but they've been around for at least five or six years where we've been seeing these bathroom breaks on major matches quarters semis finals um players oh I'm nervous I need a bathroom break um and it hasn't been a big deal until recently to the point that it's reaching the press conferences and stuff like that. So I think that it's a combination of media as well. Right. You're, you nailed it. It's the media pointing it out over and over and over Mm. and they're making it a big deal. Mm. So now it's the center of attention now. And now the the players know about it. It's more in, in the top of their mind. Right. So now it's boom, it's right there. Mm. medical timeouts happen all the time and honestly i don't think it's the same as a bathroom break right very different very different but people are saying oh they're using it to stall and their excuses well how can they still move Mm -hmm. so moving on the next the uh gen z has arrived Mm. before we do that let's play a clip on uh, tiafo all right, this is uh, for a little bit of context. This is Tiafo talking about what's going on with uh, all these guys uh, having very competitive matches as of late, the way they're playing, the level of play out there on the tour. Uh, he's just he's just talking about what he thinks of everything going on. Right. Um, I mean, I think there's numerous reasons. I mean, you don't have, you know, Roger Rafa, so guys are hungry. Guys are like, you know, there's a fucking opening. Like, I, I got to fucking push, you know, like. Say like you know, so I think that has definitely a part to play in it. But um, I mean, level tennis is high. Like I mean, anyone can beat anyone. Like look, like you know, I'm 50 in the world. You know, I'm I'm beating all these kind of guys. Like you have qualifiers in the round of 16. Like you know, tennis. Like there's no there's no bums. Like everyone's good. Um, like if you don't show up to play, like you can lose to anyone. And so I mean, but I definitely think I mean guys are trying extra hard because there's no Roger Rafa. I I, I truly believe that. Uh, you can see, like, guys are just foaming in the mouth. Like, it's pretty funny to watch. Uh, I'm in the locker room just cracking up. Like, 
you know what I mean? You have Seppi, like, 37, like, playing 15, 13 in the fifth. Like, what's that about? Like, you know, crazy. Like, his 19th U.S. Open is putting his heart on the line. Like, what are your thoughts on his statement? Um, I agree, you know. Um, we don't have these moments on the tour often where it's, it seems like to win the whole U.S. Open, you really only got to get past Djokovic. That's that's the only guy that is the indisputed favorite. And look at it this way. Last year, if you were real if you would have made it deep in the US Open, Djokovic lost because he got penalized and ejected from the tournament. You wouldn't have had to play anyone from the big three to get your first US Open. Um and that can happen at any time because they're seldomly in tournaments now, they get injured. They retire. You know, all these things are happening with these guys because of maybe age and different circumstances and injuries. If I'm in their shoes, I'm definitely going to step it up. Uh, Me and you had a conversation off the podcast where we discussed uh, because we've both ran high school tennis programs. Yes. And I remember your team specifically many years ago. You had an all star athlete on your team who pretty much everyone went, okay, he's going to win. All singles matches, he will go to CIF, he will be ranked. I'll focus on everything where he's not in my path to success, and I'll put my efforts there instead. And we both said, okay, if he wasn't there, how much harder would these kids have worked to become the best singles player in the league? Totally different. Right. Totally different. And I think it's very similar to that right now. Even with things like, how many French Opens do you think Federer would have participated in if Nadal wasn't on the tour? Oh, every single one. Every single one. He'd be there every time. Um, and I think that's kind of the case here at the U.S. Open. So all these guys think, okay, especially if you're on the opposite side of the bracket from Djokovic, you're going, there's no way I could run into him until the end of the tournament. I'm going to give it everything I got. So Tiafo's right on the money, you know? Yes. And uh, once he beat Rublev, he said, I don't fear anybody. Mm-hmm. So... And the reason why I brought up his interview was because we're going to talk about the 18-year-olds. <clears throat> First off, I'm going to give you guys some stats. So, Rada Kanyu, that is the 18-year-old from Great Britain. She was the one who uh, had the anxiety attack in Wimbledon. Mm. She's made it very far. So, she's the third woman qualifier in the U.S. Open to make it to the uh, quarterfinals in the U.S. Open era. Then we have Fernandez, who actually beats Vitalina today. So Ooh. she made it to the se- She's in the semifinals. That's huge. Yes. Um, she, is, uh, she is the first 18-year-old to actually beat two number ones, former number ones, Osaka Kerber. And she beats Vitalina today. And she's going to play, I believe, um, Pliskova. I mm-hmm. could be wrong about that. You can look that up yeah, if you'd like. But, yeah. And then we have, of course, Alcaraz, who this guy, if you haven't heard of him, obviously we talk about him a lot. He is basically the next Nadal, quote unquote. But he's the youngest player to win a match in all four slams in one year. The last person to do that is Goran Ivanisevic in 1989. Goran. Goran. He is the youngest player to defeat a world number three in the open era when they started the rankings in 1973. Wow. 
So Alcaraz did that, obviously, to Sissipas. Mm-hmm. And he's the youngest player ever to make it to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. He lost today. Uh, Ali Asim, uh, he, he had a walkover. He, mm-hmm. he quit at 3-1. But those are all the stats. What are your thoughts on the rise of the 18-year-olds? Um, I love to see it. Uh, we need more of that because, you know, I look at who our stars are, who our dominant players are on the tour for the ATP, and there's there's a potential void missing if these guys weren't stepping up because, you know, we have the guys who are in there, the age bracket of between 30 and 40, which are, a, they're like a class in themselves. You know, that's the Djokovic's, the Fetters, the Nadal's, and everyone within their generation. And then the generation just after them, the people who came after them onto the tour, those guys are almost a complete wash, you know? No offense to them. They're great athletes, but they were stuck in a really rough era where yes. they were a little young going against guys who were getting better and better. Um, and so that would be like the Dimitrovs, the Nishikoris, Milos, Del Potro, Milos Roundage, Burdich, you know, all those guys who really, they really faced a lot of adversity. And then the generation after them is the Curios generation. And um, those guys kind of came out and got their wins, but they couldn't quite do it. And, you know, after those guys, we see the CC Paz, the Zverevs, and we see a future in the professional world of tennis with them. But before you know it, they're going to be creeping on 30. It's not going to take long. And so my concern was, okay, well, who's coming behind them? You know, because in theory, those guys should be on the tour already and playing matches. So Alcaraz is one of them. Musetti, I think, is one of them. Yes. Um, Sinner is one of them. They're a promising bunch. So tennis for the ATP looks like it's going to have quality life for the next decade. So I'm really happy about that. Now, Delpo, you included him in the uh, people that didn't shine, quote-unquote. Don't forget he has slams. So. Yeah, oh, of course. There's yes. the Chilich slam. There's the Delpo slam. And like I said, these are incredible athletes. I'm a huge Burdich fan, as you know. Right. Um, but these guys, unfortunately, they run the risk of not even being in the Hall of Fame. And they're Hall of Fame athletes, you know. So it's it's just bad timing for them. It's unfortunate. Yes. Layla Fernandez. Um, if you, The only reason why I even heard of her before the U.S. Open was because Sloan Stevens was lose she lost in the 250 event in mexico we had a, a earlier podcast about that yeah and layla fernandez won that 250 event oh uh be, after that she was losing in qualifiers she couldn't even get out of qualifiers she was losing in first round in tournaments and now she's in the semifinals of the u.s open yeah and you're right she's playing sabalenka she's playing sabalenka yeah, yeah. not not pliskova my yeah. apologies she's yeah. playing sabalenka so that's huge Mm-hmm. you know and then Alcaraz he has a promising future very promising future yes he uh Sissy Pass even said he's the hardest player to hit a ball that I've ever faced he's saying that he hits the ball harder than anybody he's ever faced really yeah in his press conference Sissy Pass is a bit of a drama queen also though because I don't know if you remember but he said that Ojali Asim was like impossible to beat right on earth right and no, he's not. <laughs> you know, so he's a bit of a character. But, yeah, nonetheless, that kid's the real deal. Yeah. You know, it's undeniable. Yes. And, uh, again, Juan Carlos Ferrer at the helm. 
he's a top player as well in the yeah. past. So he's well taken care of. And now we have Radakanyu, who's, uh, again, she's a signing, shining star as well. Yeah. And we need to give a shout out to Brooksby, who lost to Djokovic. But he took a set off of him. Yeah, the first set. Yes. A lot of people were getting excited after that first set. And then, yeah, Djokovic did Djokovic things. And <laughs> there goes that. And then one game in the second set took 17 minutes. Oh, my goodness. That was longer than the first set, basically. Yeah, and you know what it is? Honestly, these players don't have the marathon legs that Djokovic has. Or right. the marathon brain that Djokovic has. And I think that he just got the life sucked out of him in that match. Right. You know, he just went flat because it was it's climbing Mount Everest. That's what it means to beat Djokovic. You got to be willing to do it. And you got to step on the court with that mentality that I'm about to climb a mountain. And I think he won the first set and maybe got a little impatient with himself. Right. Got a little excited. So, Do you think that Alcaraz can now compete with the... The Felixes, the Sissy Passes, the the next gen, basically. I think the mentality is there now. The confidence is going to be there, and he's you got to keep in mind he did he gave this performance at the U.S. Open. Right. Uh, this is a tough place to do that. So I think that he's already a great clay court player. I think that uh, we should expect great things from him, and hopefully he becomes a truly pure all court player. Right. Now, to give more stats, these are uh, pretty good stats. Uh, Iga Sviacek is the only WTA player to make it to the fourth round in every single slam as well. Very consistent. Very consistent. And then we have Felix, who just won. He's the first player since Del Potro to make it to two back-to-back quarterfinals. Now he's in the semis. Mm Mm-hmm. When Delpo won the U.S. Open in 2009. So he made it, at, Ali Asim made it to the quarters at Wimbledon and now the semis at the U.S. US Open. Open. Yeah. So that's another consistent run as well. What are your thoughts on Ali Asim? I want him to be a legend at the core of my heart. I want to see him be one of the greatest ever. I'm still not sold on it at my core. I think that he's still missing a little bit of that X factor. That makes you uh, go from being a top 10 player to a top three player. But fortunately for him, once the big three are officially gone, I don't know if that's going to matter. These other guys don't demand that to be beaten. So you can beat Paz, Zverev, Team, these guys. You can beat them without being special, special. You know, the funny thing is, I think Ali seems a very steady performer. I think he comes out and typically plays... Within a, a smaller range, like his dip's not too far from his peak, but his peak isn't super crazy amazing. Uh, it's like the opposite of Shapo. You know, Shapovalov is uh, his peak highest tier of tennis is mind bogglingly good. He's able to very open up the court incredibly. He's a shot maker, he moves well, but when he's off, it's like his forehand doesn't exist. He doesn't move well, stuff like that. He's making a lot of errors. So I would like to see him kind of find that shot-making ability that Shapo has, but maintain his consistency as well. And then he's a guaranteed slam winner. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of shots, and he has Tony Nadal. Yeah. And he's a proven winner as well, obviously. Yeah. It's only going to get better for him. Right. And now the last topic, Osaka drops a bombshell, uh, if you want to play the clip. 
Uh-oh, here comes the, the good news or the bad news. Depends who you ask. I feel like for me, recently, um, like when I win, I don't feel happy. I feel more like a relief. Um, and then when I lose, I feel very sad. And I don't, I don't think that's normal. And I didn't really want to cry, but basically I feel like, um. Gentlemen, I'm done, okay? Thank you. No, I kind of want to finish this you though, finish I'm sorry. This? Um. It's up to you. Yeah, so basically I feel like, okay. So, hmm, this is very hard to articulate. Well, basically, I feel like I'm kind of at this point where I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And I honestly don't know when I'm going to play my next tennis match. Sorry. Oh my. Or not. But. Future Bruin Borg or what? Yeah. Sorry. Thank you, everyone. Oh. Okay, yeah. But I, I think I'm going to take a break from playing for a while. Wow. So, I what mean, are your thoughts on that bombshell? It sounds to me like we can. So, let's get a few obvious things out of the way. I shouldn't even have to say these, but I'm going to say them. When we first saw her come on the tour, we were comparing her to being a potential Serena if she can master two more surfaces. Right. This press conference tells us that will never happen and it's impossible. Agreed? Yeah, I can. You can say that, yeah. Yeah. Um,. She she will not be getting twenty slams. <laughs> um, she seems to be struggling no matter what's happening. Um, it doesn't matter if she's on a hot streak or if she's losing. Uh, she doesn't find motivation in losses, and she doesn't find inspiration in winning, or vice versa. So um, for me, this is just a sign that she may be physically conditioned for the sport just through her childhood, her training, her sessions, but she is not mentally built for what it means to be a high-tier athlete in this realm with media and the publications and all that. So, unfortunately for her, I think that, you know, she may be peaking unless she can change something mentally. She needs the break. Yes, I agree 100%. She's she's hinted at it this whole time, mm-hmm. you know. Even when she won the two slams, even when she had a, a Sasha buy-in, she basically said, "I want to be happy," mm-hmm. and that was more important to her than winning slams. Mm-hmm. She she's been giving hint after hint after hint that she was basically done, basically, mm-hmm. um, with the mental health. <clears throat> She was saying that it's fatiguing on her as well. Mm-hmm. And this long break that she just took, it's, it's a sign. Mm-hmm. And 
people who actually thought that Osaka was going to win the U.S. Open are crazy because yeah. there is no way, you know, with all that that's been going on with her, the performance in the Olympics, mm-hmm. there's no way. So my question is, when do you think she's going to come back? Um, to me, if we're optimistic, the Asian swing is uh, not too far out. If she finds peace, I think that she would enjoy the Asian swing. Otherwise, I mean, consider her not even being existent until the Australian Open at the end of January. And that's from from today right now. That's about four months. Um, so that's four months. That's a quarter of the year out of tennis. So I know it's a third of the year. Uh, so, yeah, a third of the year out of the sport. So that's that's a bit more realistic. Uh, if you want to be a realist, that's probably when she'll be back. Um, unless there's some type of contractual requirements or endorsement requirements. Yeah, expect to see her at the Australian Open. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if she misses the Australian Open where she's the champion defending, there's a problem. Oh, for sure. Yeah, her ranking will drop outside the top 10. Right. And now we're speaking, okay, is she ever going to come back? Mm-hmm. So... If she misses the Asian swing, all that, she misses the year-ending tournament, that's not a super big deal. Yeah. But if she misses Australia, now we're talking. Yeah. So it's going to be hard. Uh, Tom Brady, who just had the NFT, we talked about that uh, last week, said, um, he said basically at 24, I couldn't find where I was at. You know, Mm -hmm. I had to, I struggled to see where I was at. Yeah. So he basically said, hopefully she finds peace and comes back stronger. So that was Tom Brady saying that about Osaka. How long do you think her career will last in the grand scheme? When will she retire? If you just made a random guess. Oh, my. Um, Okay. As much as we, quote unquote, bad talk her, we really don't, per se. Mm -hmm. Um, I honestly think that if she really thinks about it, she can at least become fetter to where he's picky about where he plays. Yeah. At the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And that'll keep her quote unquote happy. Mm-hmm. And she could have a longer career that way. Yeah. That's that's what I think. If she doesn't do that, I don't know, dude. Maybe a couple years. Mm-hmm. And then I believe she could be done just like Bjork. Yeah. When he retired at the peak. Yeah. So. It's unfortunate. Yep. Uh, well, um, I mean, we'll be dropping a special episode maybe about three or four days from today um, for people who want to get a little bit more of the ATP. Uh, we'll drop that podcast over the weekend. And lastly, I haven't even told you about this. Um, there's a special documentary series for athletes on uh, Netflix. I don't know if you heard about one called Malice at the Palace. No. Uh, it was a documentary where they um, they discussed the story. Do you remember when uh, it was Reggie Miller, Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal all they, playing for they, the Indiana Pacers? Yes. And there's a big fight. The brawl, yes, yeah, I remember that. the big brawl. They, yes. they went down into detail, played never before seen security footage, and they got all, all of those guys to sit down and talk about what happened and how it affected their careers the rest of the way. Okay. And it was an amazing documentary. Uh, and it was made by these guys who are basically finding these almost 
stories that we know about but we don't know about and they're doing these mini docs on them so they did that one they did one on a of this female boxer she's like the the best female boxer in history i forgot her name uh christy martin yep christy martin uh and guess who else they did and we're gonna do an episode on it marty fish's story yes so i want to have both of us watch that uh if you're listening that's on right september now. 7th correct it's already out it's already out it's out okay i think it came out today okay um so yeah that's out we'll both watch that uh if you're a listener of this podcast do me a favor when you have some time get on netflix Look for that Marty Fish documentary, watch it, and uh, we're all going to talk about it here on this podcast, and we'll discuss it. It's September 7th. There you go. See, you know your stuff. Come on, man. <laughs> so uh, it's been an absolute beauty uh, being here once again to talk about my favorite sport with my buddy here, ATV Podcast. I hope you guys were entertained. So many bonus episodes, man. We're busy people. Oh, yeah. I'll be in. I'll be in.